0: Um, hey there, chief end listeners. I don't know why I feel like starting with a little um musical treat. <laughs> and if I play it from my Apple iTunes store thingy, Mabob, I think I don't get copyrighted because it's just playing in the background, right? Oh, it's not gonna work. Hold on, hold on. This podcast is already off to an ignominious start, which again I think is the right word. Here we go, Apple iTunes. How's everybody doing? It's been a month since I've last podcasted, which means I've got at least a half a thought that's been ruminating through my head. Um, and we're going to get right into it just after uh, Nicole Richie's dad graces us with one of his more memory bank-searing songs. The Say You, Say Me. Say it together naturally. Um, You're probably asking why is a podcast that claims to be a Christian podcast starting with a Lionel Richie Richie song? It's been stuck in my head all day. I don't know why. (laughs) Say say me. Okay. Say, Say it for always it should be dude it's just so good i love that a little album. dude he's so happy on the cover of that album like that guy is a dude that has made money off his music and he's just sized most artists end up poor and destitute um but our boy lionel richie figured out how to make some coin and i think that's why he's smiling so profusely he's a handsome cat handsome cat say you say me Uh, Say it forever naturally. And we go to the coffee. Hope everybody had a good August, a good September. Um, Which reminds me of a Green Day song, Wake Me When September Comes. So September has come, and we're waking back up to this podcast. What I want to talk about today, the thing that's been uh, bouncing around in my head the last few weeks at least, is. The concept of negative holiness. And you say, why, Mr. Muth? What is negative holiness? Actually, hold on. Before we do this, I'm actually going to get to questions. Actually going to get to some questions. Uh, you can send your questions to podcast at chiefn.org. Podcast at chiefn.org. And we've got a handful of questions that we're going to um, go through this morning. Uh, question number one, dear Mr. Chief end podcaster, man. He actually doesn't say that, but, uh, it's just dear Brandon. Um, will you name the mega church that you worked at in the late nineties? I've heard you talk about it a couple of times and just curious which one it was. Um, sincerely. All right. Thanks. Thanks, Jason. Appreciate that. Uh, no, I'm not, not going to name the church. Um, I don't know. I don't feel like I should name the church. This isn't about a particular church. This is about uh, more the kind of general evangelical structure um, and value system that's been created, of which the particular megachurch that I worked at was simply a microcosm in the greater ecosystem of evangelical industrial complex. Uh, So no, I'm not going to name that. Um, Brandon, you mentioned you read the prayer of Jabez. Curious if you think that God's blessings apply to any part of our temporal life or if they are solely reserved for eternity. It seems like you believe the latter, not the former. Um I mean obviously God's blessings are applied to this life. I mean we have the blessing of mercy, we have the blessing of grace, we have the blessing of the Holy Spirit. We have the blessing of uh Paul says let the the, the word of Christ dwell richly in you. Um we have promises of God being the God of all comfort. So clearly uh there are blessings in this life. I think that what the prayer of Jabez did is it hijacked the b- b- the blessing of the b- 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 Uh, I love when I start stuttering for no reason, the blessing of uh, spiritual things and the blessing of soul resources, um, sort of the invisible realm, if you will. Um, And we hijack them. The Prayer of Jabez hijacked them and turned them into material blessings. And and I think that's the the bone that I have to pick with much of the evangelical industrial complexes that many of the blessings that I think are to be appropriated and applied in a spiritual fashion, namely contentment. Paul the Apostle says godliness with contentment is great gain. Uh says be content with such things as you have, for he has said he'll never leave you nor forsake you. There seems to be this hidden treasure, um, this invisible soul treasure of that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the communion with God the Father through Christ the Son imparts to the soul in the here and now um, that results in contentment, results in the fruit of the Spirit. And I think it's the actual fruit of the Spirit, which is the blessing. It's the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control it gets against such things there is no law. I think it's those invisible fruits of the Spirit at work in our lives, which constitute the tangible blessings um that the Christian experiences in the temporal realm of, of our lives. Um, so yeah, uh, and I'm sure that, you know, I mean, and then just the general graces and general mercies of food and shelter and water to drink and clothes to wear. I mean, the, the, that would fall more just sort of in the general category of God being a gracious God to provide some level of material comfort in a, in a world that is broken Um, And rather sad from the results of Adam and Eve's rebellion. Um, All right, thanks for asking those questions. You can send questions to podcast at chiefend.org. And mm, we can, I'll answer them, I'll go over them. Um, So negative holiness is what I want to talk about today. With Lionel Richie and his probably $25,000 smile um, on the backdrop. If you have iTunes, go open 20th Century Master. What's the album? 20th Century. The 20th Century Masters, the Millennium Collection, The Best of Lionel Richie. Yeah, you can see his $25,000 smile. Looking good. I like that look. Um, so negative holiness. Negative holiness. And you say, well, what on earth? is negative holiness. Um, and I think it is summarized. I I, came, I stumbled upon this concept in another Spurgeon sermon uh, on Psalm 37, 4, which says, delight yourself in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. And in that particular sermon, Spurgeon outlines this concept of negative holiness, that there is a subset of Christians, there's a subset of people naming the name of Christ who go about establishing a negative holiness. And they insist, they're known for what they don't do. So they don't listen to this particular music or they don't watch that particular form of entertainment or they don't engage in that particular form of conversation. Um, They don't imbibe themselves on particular libations. And if they do, they do so in a very moderate uh, form and not in excess and drunkenness and things. and so he explores this concept of, of negative holiness, and he says that the outcome of that is that we then are known as miserable Christians. We're then known for he, he frames it in in terms of we do the things that we we begrudgingly do the things that we hate, i.e., Bible reading, um, prayer. Fellowship, church, worship, service of others, while secretly repressing and not doing the things that we truly love, i.e., all the works of the flesh, all the indulgences and pleasures and things that we can experience in the world. And I think he's—I think he brings up a very uh, important concept there. Um, and I—and when I look around at my twenty-two years of experience in the church in America. I think that those statements of his back from 1859 when he preached that sermon are rather true today that we still struggle with this idea of negative holiness, that our holiness consists in what we do not do. Um, And I think he really hits the nail on the head when he talks about how our Christian lives then become something of, we go through the motions of things we don't want to do while secretly wishing we could do the things that we really want to do. And if, if that's how you're living your Christian life, and I know that at various times throughout my Christian walk, I have been on different uh, aspects of that particular uh, Venn diagram or chart or however you want to, whatever you want to call it, but it's, it's a miserable way to live as a Christian. And he goes on to say that that particular form of Christian living becomes and is, in its essence, pharisaical. That we're so concerned with the outward appearance that we neglect the heart. And we become so concerned with what people think of our outward spirituality that we neglect the vibrant living water new birth, new life aspect of what's actually going on in the machinations of our heart, mind, and soul, which are hidden. Um, so I think that's a very a poignant, very timely concept to consider. And I mean, when I look around, I've said this before, I think the church in America, I think pastors at large, uh, they, they could use, they would, they would benefit it would behoove them. I think I went off on behoove a few podcasts ago. Um, It would benefit them to increase their confidence in monergistic regeneration. Um, I've met very few pastors who have confidence in the regenerating work of the Spirit. Um, It's almost like the monergistic regeneration is sort of like the trip switch that sort of activates new life in its infancy, but then we have to go and double down on our negative holiness in order to grow in the Lord. Now, to be clear, the scripture, um, Colossians 3, there is the famous put off and put on list. So um, by no means am I saying that there is no place for putting off, um, but if we put off And neglect, if we only put off and we neglect to nurture the monergistic regenerative aspects of the new birth in giving our hearts new affections, in giving us a heart that delights in the Lord, um, then I really think we're setting ourselves up for a labor-filled and and not a burdensome journey um, to the celestial city. And the journey to the celestial city, our pilgrimage throughout this life as we live as Christians, is is difficult enough because Christ promised us persecution, He promised us trial, He promised us difficulties, and if we aren't blessed with, if we're not, if we're not uh, being fueled by the supernatural strength of the Holy Spirit for our Christian service and Christian lives. Uh, I think we're setting ourselves up for tremendous discouragement and tremendous weariness um, as we seek to live as Christians in this world. So I'd like you to ponder that maybe this week or the next, you know, think about how you have made negative holiness um, part of your Christian walk, and I think contemplate, you know what's going on under the surface there that what what are these things that you are suppressing that you your heart secretly wishes you could indulge in and you need to take whatever that bucket of gunk is uh <laughs> how's that for a theologically astute term take your bucket o gunk uh sounds like some infomercial a bucket of gunk if you call now you'll not only receive one, but not only two, yes, that's right, four buckets, of gunk. Um, You need to take whatever that bucket of gunk is to the Lord and say, hey, Lord, I am secretly desiring to do these things more than I'm desiring to delight in you. Would you, I I repent of them, I confess them, Um, would you please forgive me for this bucket of gunk, and would you please rearrange my heart in such a way uh that this is no longer the case and and spurgeon has a quote and i loved it he says my religion is known for the for doing what i love and avoiding what i hate and would scorn to do and i'm pretty sure that's verbatim because i memorized that this week um so he says that's what, that's what his religion consists of. And, and when he says that, he's not boasting like, oh my, I am awesome. He's saying basically that, that true Christianity, uh, monergistic regeneration, vibrant uh, spiritual soul faith um, and life consists of doing what we love and avoiding that which we hate and would scorn to do. And if you can flip that affection paradigm in your heart, and not that you're doing it obviously i mean it's the lord who works in us both to will and to act according to his good pleasure paul the apostle tells us but if you if that if that pleasure paradigm can be flipped on its head in your heart you're going to go from laboring under the morose uh sentiment of pursuing negative holiness pharisaical holiness and you will transition why does the stinking media have to hijack so many words? There's certain words that I can't even say now. I say transition and I instantly think of uh, um, Bruce Jenner. I mean, what is going on in our society? Holy smokes. Um, If you can flip that, if that flips in your heart, you'll go from from being morose and downtrodden as a Christian, I think, to uh, beginning to be fueled by the delight in the Lord himself. Um, And as that happens, as you delight in the Lord himself, the things that you're secretly harboring that you wish you could do, um, those are going to become things that you actually begin to hate and that you would, quote, as Spurgeon says, scorn to do. And it's probably a good time to go to the trusty old microfilm and search through hundreds and hundreds of slides to look at the epitomology of I feel like this is like deja vu constantly. I've already done the epistemology, right? I've already defined that. Epite- epistemology. I'm pretty sure that's the study of a word. Epistemology is the study of knowledge. I didn't want epistemology. I wanted epitomology. Uh-oh. How come my screen went blank? Um, we're back, uh, epistemology, what the heck, you know, I could probably go about this another way, and I could say, oh, Google is so slow, so slow, okay, epistemology, why, why are you frozen, Google? Oh, it's not Google, it's my internet connection, uh, study of, I'm going to go the, uh, the unintelligent route. Study of words is called <laughs> etymology. There's no P in there. Come on, muth. It's the et, etymology. So epistemology is language. Etymology is words. Whoo! glad I got that one sorted out. Wiped the sweat off my brow with that one. Uh, what was I epitomologizing? Uh, epitomologizing. Um, it sounds like some Web 2.0 startup back in 2009 that would have received like $900 million in funding. We're epitomologizing. Um, we have awesome shiny logos and reflections in our design. And we're valued at $17 trillion, which is nine times the combined GDP of every country in the world. And of course, our valuation is built on Sturdy principles and sound free market economic theory. Why is my econ- economics podcast bleeding into my theology podcast again? Um, Epitemologizing. <laughs> Etymologizing. <laughs> that here sounds like some like, Star Wars weapon. Oh, he etymologized the Enterprise. Curse you, alien space race. Oh, goodness. What was I etymologizing? Um, some word. Some word. I wish I could hit rewind and do a live live rewind feed. Like, I need instant replay for this podcast. Uh, let's pause while we watch this in slow motion. We'll go to the booth in New York. Um, what the heck was I epitomologizing? It was a word, and it was... Oh, uh, no idea. I can't remember. I got too distracted by Lionel Richie's white glowing teeth. Um, let's minimize that window. He is a little bit distracting. Man, that's happy. Is that, yeah, he's got crow's feet in his eyes. So that's gotta be a real smile, right? Isn't that what all of the facial recognition body language experts tell us? Is that if you have the crow's feet when you smile, it's real and not feigned. Um, which is another good word you should learn. So get away from negative holiness, I guess was the point. Man, I want to know what word I was, I was researching. Oh, maybe if I go, was it in my history? A Epistemology. No, epistemology. Yeah, I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? The podcast in its recorded form will know, and everyone will laugh that, oh man, how come you couldn't remember that word? That was so silly. It was so um, simple. But you know what? You try multitasking, um, recording a podcast with an iPad and multiple windows. The trials are real, people. The trials are real. God give me strength. And of course, I jest. Um, It seemed like it was important to know what that word was, but moving right along, moving right along, the Starship Enterprise's shields are down because it was etymologized. um, And there, you know, that would make a very interesting infographic um, to let my design podcast bleed into my theology podcast. (laughs) And you say, goodness gracious, how many podcasts do you have? My interests are varied. They are wide and broad people, just like Stephen Furtick's shoulders. Um, that joke. I wonder how many more podcasts. I wonder how much, many how long the legs on that particular joke are going to continue. Maybe I'll have to update it to Craig Rochelle's biceps or his uh, broad shoulders. Anyway, my interests are, are far and wide. So I don't know how many podcasts I have, um, but I do talk about economics and design in other arenas. Um, but an interesting infographic would be to take all of the ways that the Starship Enterprise is put into peril. Um, And I'm pretty sure, just this is anecdotal observation from the episodes uh, that I've seen over the years, it seems like ship computer malfunction would comprise probably three-quarters of the issues that they run into. (laughs) They have the Microsoft XP um, version of the 24th century intergalactic spaceship, um, running. (laughs) Holy smokes, Captain Picard and Starfleet, like get some better programmers. I don't know what you need to do. I mean, you're not in India at that point because it's the United Federation of Starships. So the world is unified. Um, they've uh, apparently, uh, realized some utopian dream which shows you that the entire star trek uh fantasy is fantasy because that utopian dream will never materialize but apparently on earth they've done away with such things as basic needs of food and they've no, no longer need shallow conflicts and such so so they've taken that out of the realm of the world and they've applied it to the galaxies uh but find some better programmers crying out loud I, I would almost be willing to wager money that three quarters of their issues stem from computer ship malfunctions. Um, but it is cool. You know, it's 20 years old. They're actually, it's actually, I think it debuted in 88. So it's 30 years old. And you can see they have iPads 20 years before they came out. They've got Siri 20 years before she came out. Um, pretty cool to see the forward-thinking set designers. Hmm. wonder if they ended up at Apple. Anyway, yeah, just computer ship malfunctions constantly. So the Starship Enterprise and her trusty, vaunted, heroic crew has been etymologized by an alien space race, and we're plowing ahead with this podcast, which at this point probably makes zero incoherent sense. (laughs) Um, So negative holiness, negative holiness, don't pursue negative holiness, pursue, uh, I guess the opposite, which would be positive holiness, which reminds me of the matter, anti-matter engines on the Starship Enterprise, dun, 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 Um, which leads me to pastoral suicides. How's that for a segue? (laughs) Because nothing says comfortable, smooth transition, like a blow to the head of pastoral suicides. You got to rip the bandaid off somehow. Um, yeah, let's transition to pastoral suicides. uh, I don't know if you follow evangelicalism. I don't know how closely you follow evangelicalism. Um, but at the beginning of September, I ran across probably one of the saddest, uh, mega church stories I have seen in a very, very long time, and apparently there was a, a pastor out in Chino Hills, California, who I was not previously aware of. I, I didn't know him. Um, I didn't even realize that he was a relatively big mega church pastor, um, Andrew Andrew Stockheim Stockheim, I think. Um, anyway, he popped up somehow. A post related to his suicide popped up in my Instagram, suggested viewing things, and I clicked on the link, and it was a post from his wife asking everybody to pray for her uh, husband because he had tried to take his life, Um, and I guess he died the next morning, and very, very sad. I mean, he left behind, I think he was only 29. And his wife, obviously, you know, similar age, probably, I'm guessing, you know, mid to mid 20s to early 30s at the most. Um, and they had three young boys. And I feel myself getting a little choked up. Um, just thinking about it. Um, So, just a horrible, horrible, horrible story. Um, Andrew Stockline. Um, Oh, man, more details came out. He was inside the church when he attempted suicide. That's, wow. Um, Anyway, so you're asking, well, why are we transitioning to pastoral suicide? Um. I think I think somewhere uh, a couple things. One, I I think I'm surprised that the suicide rate among megachurch pastor culture isn't higher than it is. And you go, Brandon, what do you what how can you even say that? And I, I think it ties somehow into this negative holiness. And It also ties into this evangelical industrial complex culture that I've been semi-coherently railing about for the last year on this podcast of how we insist that these men become godlike. They become savior-like. They become mini messiahs to so many of us um, who are in the church in America And that hope and expectation and confidence that we place in fallen, fallible sinners who become pastors is so misguided that the pressure and the expectations that are put on these men, I think really is unbearable on many levels. Now, I, I will say in my jaded state that there are some that are like Simon the Magician, who I think have seared their conscience beyond recognition and are have, have fallen so far off the humility train and have jumped the tracks to the egomaniacal, self-indulgent, self-confident, self-promotion uh, circus tent that they're not even aware of the expectations. In fact, they in fact they probably boast and and uh, love them and and are addicted to that whole uh, setup of worshiping them. Um, but I think it's really a critique of the congregations, and I think that's where I'm going with this. You know, it's easy to sit sit back, and I've done that for several episodes of this podcast to sit back and to to blast the pastors who are you know, promoting such a antithetical culture to the humility of Christ and the example of Christ. But I think in this particular instance, I want to I direct the chastisement to the congregations, the individual Christians that are craving charismatic leaders um, to serve as their mini messiahs and their priests. And I don't say this to to you know draw a cause and effect relationship between Andrew Stockline's death and you know Christians in America. I mean, I have no idea. I don't know the man. I don't know what was going on in his heart or his soul or his mind. From the little I've read, it sounds like he was suffered with depression, which is very serious. So I'm not making a, a a direct cause and effect relationship there, and please don't mishear this, is that. But I I do want to question and challenge Christians in America to look to Christ and Christ alone and stop being complicit in creating these mini-Messiah, Savior-esque pastor figures. Because, one, it's not good for you as an individual Christian, because you're essentially setting up an idol, whoever your favorite famous pastor is, you're setting up an idol. I've shared the story before when I worked at the megachurch. People would call in on a Sunday morning, there was... 1, eight thirty nine. There was three Sunday morning services, Saturday night service and three Sunday morning services. And the calls would begin on a Friday or a Saturday. And even on Sunday morning early, people would call and they would ask, is the senior pastor preaching today? And if he wasn't, the attendance was down. And if he was, well, then the attendance was normal or beyond normal. And I just, that's such a an, an idolatrous way to live as a Christian because we're supposed to be coming together to cherish Christ and to worship Christ, not raise up a fellow sinner to saint-like status. And when I look around the celebrity pastoral landscape, yeah, there's a lot of blame that goes to the celebrity pastors, but if you're if we're going to spill over back into my economics podcast, <laughs> there's obvious supply and demand issues going on here as well. Whatever is demanded, the market will supply. So, I can only conclude from that that what the what the collection of individual Christians are demanding is this celebrity godlike superhuman pastor figure because that's what's being supplied so to the church to the christian to the individual christian listening to this semi-convoluted podcast heck this episode is completely 100 convoluted um i'm talking about etymologizing the Ener- starship enterprise for goodness sake to you christians who are listening stop promoting and enabling the culture stop demanding godlike figures in the form of your pastor maybe that's what i'm trying to say because it's robbing your soul of interfacing man that's a 90s youth group word <laughs> oh we got to make sure we interface with the locals in our face makeup and costumes um while we trust in terrible acting by 17-year-old pimply-faced 17-year-old kids to um properly <laughs> I'll never forget when I got yanked off um when I got yanked off the set of the uh, trusted allegiance play back in the day um yep, I got the hook. I was in doing street dramas in Central America. <laughs> And I got cast as the Christ-like figure who was, you know, the blonde, blue-haired, white guy um, who was going up against the minority dark-skinned devil character. Yeah. And we wonder why the current generation is so oversensitive on white privilege. Maybe because of that? I don't know. Um, Let's... Oh my gosh, the more I think back about that... What a disgrace on multiple levels. Um, anyway, I got cast as the Christ-like figure who probably was a mix between Carly Ewells in uh, *Princess Bride* and uh, <laughs> you know was the the charming uh, swashbuckling you know good pirate with the foam sword. And actually, it was a, it was a PVC sword because we broke him several times me and my, uh, castmate who portrayed the, uh, dark-skinned devil, um, we, we cracked a handful of swords throughout that five-week jaunt through the sweltering jungles of Central America. Anyway, I remember I got yanked. I got yanked. We're about three weeks in, and, uh, I got yanked. Team leader came over to me after a particularly, um, heart-wrenching performance of getting, fighting the devil, and then getting crucified by mimes. (laughs) How the Lord saves anybody is, I mean, the fact that there are Christians in the world should just make us fall down on our faces and thank God for his abject, unadulterated mercy. (laughs) I just said, after getting crucified by mimes, Oh my goodness! Or maybe I got crucified two mimes. I think the mimes went from being ship sails <laughs> to a crucifix shape. I think I got—I think I got uh, crucified by the milk lady and the baker, maybe a cowboy. I can't remember. Oh, it's so so bad. If you were ever on a youth mission trip in the '90s and you had to participate in that. Oh, the horror! Just rest on the fact that God's sovereign, and His mercy can triumph such ridiculous hijinks. Oh my goodness, what a complete debacle! My my soul is blushing at the moment. Anyway, so yeah, I got yanked. I got the I, they cracked open the the good old long cane with the hook on the end, and the team leader sat me down at a. Uh, sweltering hot breakfast of american cheese and three times the mayo white bread sandwiches and broke me the news brandon the other team leader and i feel that uh, you're not expressing enough physical pain during the crucifixion scene um so we're going to ask you to take a hiatus from being the messiah And I'm going to step in in, for the evening performance and demonstrate to you um, how much pain you should actually be in when you're getting crucified by the baker, the peasant woman, the milk lady, and the cowboy. Um, And I'll I'll never forget my response. I said, well, I'm trying to communicate the emotional pain that he felt. Whatever. It was fine. Actually, it was a nice reprieve because I didn't have to sweat for 22 minutes. And I don't even think I had to carry the sound box. That thing was a 70-pound burden. Um, carry that sound box, Muth. The cross was heavy. You can suck it up and sling that thing around. Just remember to charge the batteries. So I actually took it as sort of like I was put on IR. The, the, the Messiah was put on IR. Um, And they made sure, the other team leader made sure that I sat in the front row to watch the proper expression of crucifixion pain. Um, And wow, it was quite a performance. I mean, I I thought that he was getting electrocuted, maybe tased with 50,000 volts um, when the peasant woman was swinging her imaginary rock. Uh, So, yeah. Anyway. It reminds me of that story because I was mentioning the 90s word interfacing. And the point that I was making is that by holding up these celebrity Christ-like Messiah-like figures in our in our favorite celebrity pastors, we are preventing ourselves from communing with the Lord. We're almost putting a nether mediator between us and Christ. And Need we be reminded, I think we do, that the scripture says there's one mediator between man and God, the man Christ Jesus. So I don't know why we as individual Christians are insisting on putting a mediator between us and Christ in the form of our celebrity, big shot, famous pastors. So that blunt segue into pastoral suicides I think is, is a chance for us to reflect as individual congregants, individual Christians, individual uh, followers of Christ, and really ask ourselves, what sort of pressures and expectations are we unduly placing on all of these men that we are insisting, th- on these men that are supplying our demand for godlike figures in the pulpit? Shame on us. Shame on us. So pray for that pastor's wife and her three young sons, because that is a, that is, that's a, I want to say cruel providence. Um, That is a frowning, frowning providence. And yeah, so pray for them, uh, support them somehow um but don't don't be complicit in in putting those undue pressures on demanding stop stop demanding that, that pastors be these godlike figures for us and look to Christ and maybe maybe bring the pastors maybe bring these celebrity pastors down to our level which is fellow sinner in need of grace and mercy on another front pastoral infidelity, uh, one of my favorite preachers over the last 10 years, um, actually up until about three or four years ago. He, I, I really enjoyed um, listening to him beginning in 2008, you know, up, up through probably 2013, 2014. Um, I listened to him quite a bit more then, a gentleman named Art Azurdia, Art Azurdia, Arturo Azurdia in Portland. And I appreciated his his reformed positions um, on on several fronts, but I also appreciated that he didn't kind of fall off into the intellectualizing, pontificating kind of academia that some of the 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 folks in the reformed movement tend to f- fall victim to at times. Um, but then probably four or five years ago, I noticed that he started uh, doing a lot more things with John MacArthur. And not that, you know, not that I have a huge bone to pick with John MacArthur, but I do think he and his acolytes uh, probably embody too much of the personality driven personality, worshiping uh, mini Messiah esque kind of vein of, of Christianity. Um, and so I, it was many red flags when he started doing that. It was kind of like, yeah, and maybe he was always, um, you know, partnering with John MacArthur's ministry. And I was just ignorant of the fact, but when I became aware of the fact that he was doing that, I kind of stopped listening to him as much because, you know, I, like I said, I'm not a huge critic of John MacArthur, but I do think that him and his acolytes promote too much of themselves, um, and too much of the, the personality. And and not enough. They they don't downplay their own personality and own name enough. They they kind of boast and and glory in that a little too much, in my uh, particular estimation. Um, Which anyone's welcome to challenge me on that particular estimation, because it might be uh, different from your estimation, which is perfectly fine. Um, Anyway, a friend of mine called me over the weekend and said, "Hey, I went to listen to some." Arturo Azzardia sermons and and the site that I normally visit was down. And so I tried again and it was down. So I Googled it and I found out that his elders had removed him from the pastoral ministry uh, after accusations of marital infidelity. And they they investigated. So I read it. I Googled and read a couple articles and apparently uh, they had received an accusation of marital infidelity. And the elders investigated it and they concluded that it was not unfounded, so that it was founded. So they confronted him with it and he admitted not only to that marital infidelity, which sounded quite frequent, maybe within the last year or two, um, but also to marital infidelity earlier on in his marriage, I think within the first five or six years of marriage, from what I read. Um, and that made me sad, made me sad. Not as sad as the the gentleman who, who committed suicide, but it did make me sad. And it was yet another reminder why we as individual Christians should, should stop demanding that these men serve as godlike figures for us. They are not our mediators between us and God. Christ is. And if we could recalibrate our hearts to look to Christ as our mediator, to look to Christ as our portion, I think we would be less prone to idolize and worship the messengers who are occupying pulpits around the country. So negative holiness quite abruptly segued into pastoral suicides um, and I'll bookend it with a concept that I've been pondering for several weeks from Jonathan Edwards. And it might take you a while to get your mind around it because I was reading it and I had to stop it. It probably took me 90 minutes before the light bulb went on. Like, oh, that's what he means. Uh, Maybe I just slow and hadn't had enough coffee that morning. But it's in his book, Religious Affections, near the back. And he, he comes up with this category of how we view christ and the first one is that we view christ as being the savior from our sins christ saves us from our sins and we're going to go on a little preposition uh focus here the the keyword being from christ saves us from our sins christ as savior from our sins And the other category he puts forth are Christians who view Christ as being the savior of their sins. So on the one hand, there's a group of Christians who view Christ as being, as saving them from their sins. And then there's another group that views Christ as being the savior of their sins. And you go, okay, my brain's hurting. I don't see the difference here. What does that mean? Um, At least that's how it might kids responded when I brought up this concept for family discussion time. Um, And when you go on to read kind of what he means, I I think it's another way to state the, you know, the the questions and objections found in Romans of, well, if grace abounds, then should sin abound? Um, Sort of the whole you know, God saves me so I can do whatever I want to do sort of argument. And what he goes on to articulate, and I think it's very, uh, very profound. I think it's very powerful. And it will serve you well in moving from pursuing negative holiness. And the first one where Christ saves us from our sins, there's this separation aspect that God extracts us from our sins. There's a separation, an extraction, a removal. So he removes us from our sins. It makes me think as far as the east is from the west. Um, it makes me think of, of extracting. And so God, he removes from our hearts the delights of our sins. He removes from our, our affections the enjoyment of those sins. So there's this separation aspect. And I think that's the correct way to view Christ, that he came to save us from our sins. But Edwards goes on to say that the other group of Christians view Christ as being the savior of their sins. And in in other words, sin doesn't end with Christ. It's simply that Christ deflects God's wrath and displeasure. So God's wrath and displeasure is targeted at sin. Christ steps in the middle of that wrath beam, so to speak, and absorbs it, and this group of Christians says, oh, well, now that Christ is receiving the wrath, I can continue with my sins. So Christ is essentially saving my sins for me um, to enjoy. He's he's not saving me from my sins. He's not extracting. There's no separation. Um, He's simply separating me from God's wrath, but I can continue to remain in those sins. And as I've pondered that for the last three weeks, I think that is an incredibly powerful uh, packet of truth. What, what did we have earlier? A bucket of gunk. <laughs> now, now, if you call right now, not only will you get four buckets of gunk, you'll also get a packet of truth um, for four easy payments of whatever you want to donate to my 501c3. Um and if you call right now, I'll throw in a love gift of a signed autograph copy of my book. Um, yikes. I think I still have some baggage from the money-making uh, shenanigans that go on in evangelical industrial complex land. But it's an incredibly powerful packet of truth to begin to move away from pursuing negative holiness. And I think there's a lot of... Uh, there's, there's a lot of it's a big catalyst in there. There's a big soul monergistic regenerative catalyst found in these concepts. And that that I think will the Holy Spirit can use to activate real supernatural uh fruit of the spirit growth in your heart. And it all centers around pleasures. It all centers around what we want to do. Um, so the negative holiness would fall into the ladder that, oh, well, Christ steps in front of the laser beam of God's wrath and absorbs it for me. Um, and that's all he does. And that gives me the get out of jail free card in order to continue to enjoy my sins, enjoy the world, enjoy my earthly pleasures to the fullest extent. Um, whereas the positive holiness gets at the, the religion that Spurgeon talked about, which is my religion consists of doing what I love because Christ is separated. There's this separating aspect. He's removing me from my sins. He's removing the desires I have in my heart for sins and for things of the world. And there's a ve- there's a real positive aspect. So we begin to do the things that we love, and we refrain and avoid the things that we hate and that we would scorn to do. That's what I was looking up. Wow, this thing comes full circle. I was going to look up the definition of scorn. We're right back to the Starship Enterprise getting etymologized. Uh, that actually sounds like the transporter. Beam me up, Scotty. Etymologizing, Captain. Which I think is actually energizing. But before I forget, scorn. Scorn definition, that's the word I was looking for. It's amazing how this thing comes full circle. Amazing how the mind works. Um, so here's, here's what scorn means. And it's a uh, great definition, and I'm sure Spurgeon used it for particular impact and effect. The feeling or belief that something is worthless or despicable. That hits it on the head. When Christ saves us from our sins, this separating work that he does begins to change our hearts so that we adopt the feeling or the belief that something is worthless or despicable. We begin to adopt the feeling or the belief that our former earthly pursuits are worthless that our former earthly sinful pleasures are despicable we view them with contempt see this is this is the power of words we're just talking about changing adding two letters of and from from being saved from your sin versus Christ being the savior of your sins it's two letters but huge implications for your pilgrimage as a christian so I would definitely, 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 definitely encourage you uh, to consider this from and of paradigm. And as you do, I'm confident that the Holy Spirit will use it to uh, transition you away from pursuing negative holiness, which is burdensome and tiring and exhausting, and will put you in the vein of pursuing positive holiness holiness, uh, spirit-backed sanctification, spirit-driven sanctification, um, because it is God ultimately who works in us both to will and to act according to his good pleasure. Um, so, and speaking from both sides of the coin, I throughout my Christian walk, maybe you're new to the faith, maybe you've been a Christian for 30 years, 50 years, 10 years, I don't know. But Speaking from both sides of the coin, I have lived on both sides of this. I have gone through seasons where I've pursued negative holiness and I can attest that it is soul-sapping and it is exhausting. Um, And I've gone through seasons where the Lord has graciously supplied uh, supernatural strength and energy to really value and treasure the from aspect. Um, And I have no delusions of grandeur that I'm special on that front. And I have no delusions that the Christian life is static. Um, So it's not like you lock into a particular, oh, I'm just going to get my mind around the difference between from and of, and then I'm set. No, it's a daily walk of faith. Give us this day our daily bread. Um, So I don't throw this out there so that you can build some false confidence that if you ponder the difference between from being saved from your sin versus Him being the Savior of your sins, that all of a sudden your walk with the Lord is just going to be easy, peasy lemon squeezy. Um, no, it's a daily walk. So, and it's not static. Um, so that should I think that should actually serve to to sober our minds, and make us more aware and more attuned um, to developing a positive pursuit of holiness instead of this negative aspect, which we're so prone uh, to default to. So um, if you want to read that particular Spurgeon sermon on your own time, as you don't watch, don't binge watch Netflix, um, it is called Sunshine in the heart. Oh, it was actually preached 1862. I said 1859. My bad. I knew it was one of his earlier ones. Uh, Sunshine in the heart from Psalm 37, verse 4. It's sermon number 454. Sunshine in the heart. And uh, I was greatly encouraged and challenged by it, as I think you will be as well, um, about the positive aspects of what it means to be a Christian. Um, and the book by Jonathan Edwards is called Religious Affections, uh, was back near the end of the book. I think it was on page 183 in my particular copy, um, but that probably would not match your particular copy because I doubt the page numbers are the same across different versions. Um, but it was near the back on the topic of, uh, contentment and, where he brings up the whole, you know, Christ saving us from our sins versus Christ being the Savior of our sins. So pray for Andrew Stock, Stock, Stock Cleans. Sorry, I don't, I, the name, I don't know the name. Like I said, I didn't even know about him until the news broke, but pray for his uh, wife and kids, terrible, terrible situation, and seek Christ and him alone, um, and stop create, stop trying to create a another mediator between you and Christ in the form of your godlike chiseled biceps um, and glistening abs senior pastor. Um, yeah just stop stop contributing to that culture and your soul will be better for it, the pastors will be better for it and the church at large will be better for it. Have a wonderful day and we will talk later.